Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Uh, we're in part six of a series on emotionally healthy spirituality called Discover the Rhythms of the Daily Office and Silent. And actually, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course has eight sessions, and the sixth is called Discover the Rhythms of the Daily Office and Sabbath. But this session six is so large and so rich that I'm actually dividing this into two different podcasts. There's just too much to talk about. And so I'm calling this one, Discover the Rhythms of the Daily Office and Silence. Now, again, our focus uh, in this series is to add to your reading and the doing of actually the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. So please go with me to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview if you've not gone there yet and download a a free sample of the uh, video that's there and the session one of the workbook and get a feel for what I'm talking about when I mentioned this thing called the Emotional Healthy Spirituality Course. Uh, again, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview, and you want to do that at some point. Now, in the course and the eight sessions, uh, this session six on the daily office silence and, sa- and Sabbath is just so key that I, I need to just frame it for you before I launch into it. If you remember, we began with the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, uh, and that you have, as Howard Thurman has said, you are the only you that's ever lived. Uh, and if you can't hear the sound of the genuine in you, you will all of your life spend your days on the end of strings that somebody else pulls. And so we looked at uh, living out of a self that's not really ourselves, it's a false self, and how do we get free in Christ? And then we talked about know yourself that you may know God and how easy it is uh, to not know ourselves as we go through life. And we may know skills, we may know people, we may know how to work, but we don't know who we are and how God's uniquely made us for his unique purpose for us on earth. And we began to dive into that. Then sessions three, four, and five, or part three, four, and five, we got into what I call the heart of emotionally healthy spirituality. We talked about go back to go forward, uh, our family of origin, and that's impact on us today. Then journey through the wall, dark nights, and then larger whole soul and larger heart, sorry, through grief and loss. I mean, who wants to do grief and loss? It's that downward journey into our humanity, into death, into loss of control. And so uh, I I say often sessions three, four, and five are the painful, surgical, practical going beneath the iceberg uh, that are just intense, um, beginning with myself. And what's so surprising, though, uh, for folks as they go on that journey is meeting the love of God there. They're surprised by it. In fact, we're often surprised in meeting God in unattractive places, hard countries, hard work, uh, austere places. We find out that when we go there and follow Jesus there, this holy, good, loving God is waiting for us. And uh, just think of Moses, for example, in Midian, uh, how surprised he was. He was an exile. He'd been raised in this, in one of the world's greatest cultures in Egypt, most accomplished civilizations. He was used to power, uh, wealth, great pyramids, hanging out with intellectual minds. Now he's in a desert of Midian by himself, no books, no temples, no servants, no influence. And yet God meets him there. Uh, An angel calls out to him in the burning bush, Moses, Moses. And he answers, here I am. And the angel says, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. It's an unfriendly, barren place. And in some ways, we get into emotional health uh, in parts three, four, and five, we just talked about in these previous podcasts, it takes us into barren places that seem so unfriendly. And the great surprise is Jesus meets us there. The same thing happens actually to John the Apostle on the island of Patmos, uh, which is a prison island. 
uh, an unfriendly place, much like Midian, a barren place. He's in exile as well. He's rejected. Uh, he doesn't get a burning bush, but he does get a vision of Jesus, a blaze. And the whole book of Revelation flows uh, in the place that's not attractive, the island of Patmos. God shows up. Just like in Ezekiel, happened to Ezekiel, happened to Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, Paul, the list goes on. And so as, we, as, we're, as we're in this journey that we call emotionally healthy spirituality, um, we find out that God beats us uh, in ways that we never expected. And, uh, and so this emotional health emphasis is such a powerful one as we unpack it, and it's indispensable for deep transformation in Jesus to let him deeply inside of us. But today, as we move into session six, into the theme of discover the rhythms of daily office and silence um, in our weeks, we, we are now in, in the whole slow down spirituality, the whole contemplative, another huge thrust. And so thus the core element of doing daily offices each day is such a core part of the core. So let me begin by talking about the daily office, and then I want to move over to silence. And because uh, just, again, there's so much in there now. The Delhi office changed my life. Let me just say that. And it, it, it happened. I'd read about it for a number of years, but it wasn't until I visited with the Trappist uh, the monks in, um, boy, almost 20 years ago now, and then, with some, and then some other monasteries following that, and participated with them in their daily offices. That is, we would get up at 3, um, 3.30 in the morning. We would have vigils. Then, we, and then we'd go back to our rooms or cells, and we meet again for six o'clock uh, for lauds. And then we meet for a third office at 625, and prime was called. And midday prayer, we'd meet for sext, and then we'd follow it with none at 2 p.m., and then vespers at 540, compline at 740 p.m., and then back to bed and up at 330 again. And what was so fascinating to me was I participated with them. I remember it was a, it was a week the first time I went, and they said they went to work in between uh, at least Monday to Friday, they, they, they worked full work days, but they were they had a life punctuated by offices, this rhythm of being with God. And it was such a wow for me. Uh, uh, and I met, for the first time, men who had, monks who had been doing that for 50, 55 years, every single day, an entire reorientation of their lives around God with a rhythm of being with God. And I and then that's what I dove into the daily office and, and where this come from and this treasure that had helped so many to pray over the centuries. And, um, and that's when I realized that I was taught a quiet time once a day in the morning uh, to, to kind of attend to my relationship with God. So I remember him all through the day uh, and hear his voice. But I realized when I went that first week, I realized, oh, my goodness, this is this is a key to slow down um, and to be with God. And so. Uh, I realize that when I do quiet time, by 11 o'clock, you know, I, I'm into God in the morning. I may spend an hour with God in the morning, but traditionally, and but then by 11 o'clock, I'm so absorbed in what I'm doing, I'm not even thinking about him very much. By 3 p.m., I'm tired and cranky, and uh, by 5.30, I'm so stressed and mumbling under my breath, uh, especially when I'm in traffic, and by 9 o'clock, I'm, I, I just be oblivious to God, not sure who God is, and the world is swirling around me. And add just it's the pace of life, the noise around us, our own tendency to rebel. It's when I realized that once a day quiet time was just not sufficient. And I saw the power in this daily office to slow down myself and to slow down uh, the church uh, so that we actually would be a prophetic sign and wonder to the world. And, uh, you know, it, it, the, the, the image that goes with this daily office is Daniel in uh 
the book of Daniel. If you remember the story there, Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian armies and gods had conquered Jerusalem and raised the temple and carried off everybody as slaves, or most people as slaves, and Daniel was one of them, young man. And he was brought to Babylon into the court of the king, and he was trained for three years, and all this pagan stuff from history and pagan astrology and mathematics and medicine and myths and their religions and their gods, their sorcery and charms and astrology, all this stuff that was banned in Israel. A completely different thought world. And the goal of Babylon was to assimilate Daniel, to, to basically, uh, they, they even changed his name uh, to absorb him into their culture. And really, it's not that different today. I mean, the whole goal of uh, demonic powers behind the world is to assimilate us into the world to, to cut us off from our union and relationship with Jesus. Uh, and then Daniel's given this job, significant job in the empire. Um, and uh, But then if you know the story of Daniel, uh, the, the, the king at the time, Darius, publishes a decree that no one is to pray any, to any other god but him. But then Daniel hears this in chapter 6, and when he hears about this decree, he goes home, he goes upstairs to his room, opens his window toward Jerusalem, and it says three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he'd done before. And uh, it points to this, Daniel had this habit of basically like a daily office, three times a day going to be with God. He's, his life is anchored in God. Uh, he's a model for us in that. And the way he resisted, uh, one of the keys to resisting the power of Babylon, which represents always in Scripture the world seeking to absorb us, and we see this image of Babylon in the book of Revelation, is uh, he had this practice of the daily office three times a day. It's so interesting. It's a great biblical history around the daily office from, you know, David said seven times a day, do I praise thee? He speaks about in the Psalms, you know, it's good to praise the Lord, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Evening, morning, and noon, David cried. He says, I cry out to you in distress. And so we know David had some kind of rhythms of mornings and evenings. We know ancient Jews in Jesus' time had a rhythm of uh, morning, midday, and evening prayer. Jesus had a rhythm of going to lonely places to pray in the early mornings, all night. The early church practiced fixed-hour prayer or daily offices. The Desert Fathers then picked it up in the monastic communities, the 2nd, 3rd, 4th centuries. And for the last 2,000 years, it's, it's been part of monasticism. Um, and then Benedict is the one in, in uh, who wrote Benedict's Rule in the 6th century, where he wrote that the daily office, nothing is, to be nothing is to be preferred to the work of God, for the love of Christ must come before all things. And the reason I actually made an intentional shift, and again, it was in the local church I was leading, uh, was because from devotions to daily office, I wanted to change the name because I wanted to make a sharp point that the focus of this daily office was to be with God, communion with God, not to get something from him, but to be with a person. Now, the word office comes from an, a Latin, the Latin word opus or work, and it means the work of God, that the first work of all of our works, regardless of what your job might be, our first work is to be with God, uh, to be with him, to slow down, to rest in him, to center in him, to seek him. And that is really became my vision for not just myself, that I'm first, my first work is not was not pastoring, my first work is being with Jesus. And that became my vision for our uh, folks I pastored, that while we may be dispersed during the week, everyone's got their different jobs, whether school teachers or lawyers or actors or 
or moms or dads at home or working in government or business, that our first work is to stop and be with Jesus. And again, we stop not for the purpose of stopping. We stop so we can be abiding in Jesus all day long. And I found that it changed my life and created a, uh, a means for me to be thinking and abiding and remembering Jesus when I was active. That's the key, in a sense, a test. That's what we want to get to. We want to pray always. And uh, so we all got to find this kind of trial and error and this rhythm in our lives to actually begin to pause. And I want to encourage you, maybe, you know, you may, you may have a morning devotion that maybe think about doing a midday uh, or an evening compliment before you go to bed. But the question is, how can I structure my life? How can I find a rhythm in my days where there's such chaos so that I'm continually aware and attentive to the seeds God's sending me throughout the day? Now, there's two big elements to the daily office, scripture and silence. Uh, but I want to focus on silence for the rest of this uh, podcast, because the core of a daily office is silence uh, before the Lord, uh, being still before him. In fact, I'm going to close our time together today also with a minute of silence. We'll have a little uh, daily office together uh, to get today. Uh, now, I'm utterly convinced that without silence and solitude, it's virtually impossible to grow in the spiritual life. Now, I didn't say that originally. Um, not sure if it was Dallas Willard uh, or Henry Nowen, but it is true, I believe, that without silence and solitude, it's virtually impossible to grow in the spiritual life. That's why the daily office and silence is core to the EH Discipleship course. During the week, everyone's doing it twice a day, practicing silence each day, uh, and offices to kind of to kind of get into a rhythm of being with God, out of which I'm abiding in Him all through the day. It's actually the secret of a powerful Christian life. Now, this is incredibly difficult. We're not living in monasteries, and Western culture is just filled with noise and can't sit still. But the great prophetic model for us, as we think about silence, and I want to offer to you today is the story of Elijah. Now, I could pick out a number of biblical figures that had a rhythm of pulling away to be in silence from Jesus to Moses to John the Baptist, but Elijah is an amazing text in 1 Kings 19 where God, the Lord says to Elijah, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a, actually it reads literally the sound of pure or sheer silence, the sound of sheer silence. Now, what's interesting about this text is prior to this, uh, God had come in the wind uh, in the book of Job, for example. We see the wind at Pentecost. God had come as an earthquake in Mount Sinai in the giving of the Ten Commandments. God had come as a fire in the burning bush to Moses. We see it at Pentecost as well. These were, these, the, the, these were all signs, wind, earthquake, and fire, of how God had moved in the past. Uh, they were familiar. But it's like the Lord saying to Elijah, Elijah, don't go back to the safety and predictability of the past, of what I did then or how I did it. But now I'm coming to you, and the word says here, it's often trans, it's also translated, and after the fire came a, a gentle whisper. 
Uh, but actually, the reason that they translated that gentle whisper is because literally it says the sound of sheer silence. Uh, or they say the sound of a still small voice. Translators didn't know how to, how to translate the sound of sheer silence. In other words, but God came in silence to Elijah. Uh, and in, in the midst of this, you know, uh, uh, this moment he's living in with all this tension, this is very different than the loud tradition of Moses. Uh, and he covers his face and he recognizes this silence as holy ground. Uh, now, this was so different from my background, that God would come in silence. Because my attitude was always, well, it's got to be some kind of prophetic word. People got to get saved, come to Christ. There's no jolt emotionally, no intense Bible study with a new revelation or new insight. Um, I just couldn't imagine God coming in silence. And, and I, like Elijah, had God very much in a box. I mean, we hear God through, of course, Scripture is our final authority, uh, we hear God through dreams sometimes and prophetic words and visions. We hear God through teachers and and uh, hopefully through podcasts and sermons and human messengers. We hear God in small groups and community. We hear God through experiences and events and circumstances of life, uh, inner impressions we have. But God also comes to us in the sound of sheer silence. Uh, and at first, we're not sure what it is. We say it's probably my imagination or something. But it takes time and experience to actually recognize God seeking to commune with us. But Elijah let, lets that silence of God's presence wash over him. And uh, I realize in silence that God's for me. He's with me. He's in me. There's this communion deeper than words. Elijah doesn't ask for guidance, but it happens. It's a natural result of getting quiet. And God says to him, you know, go back out there and take a risk, you know, and tells him what to do by anointing another king, etc. But he's a different person when he emerges out of that silence, out of that solitude, out of that rest. He has an experience of God. And the same thing happens to us. Silence is a must in the Christian life if we are to mature. I need silence. And in some ways, it can be broken down. There's three things happening here. Silence. In silence, I'm listening to me. In other words, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm present with myself uh, and whatever God's bringing up inside of me. Silence is also listening to God as I quiet my mind and listen for him. But silence is also being with God to receive his love so I don't have to inappropriately borrow that love from other people. See, what makes the daily office and silence uh, so different than kind of devotions as I was raised with, or many of you were raised with, is that where silence and scripture kind of play together. Uh, in, in many ways, I was raised, I think most of you probably were too, that the, the content is the most important thing. I, 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 you know, some kind of scriptural content or devotional, and then we reflect on that. We think about it. That's the emphasis. But in the daily office, the emphasis is on silence. And then there's scripture and uh, maybe something devotional, but it recognized that without the silence, I can't even hear God clearly enough because my mind's so full. One is more content, the other is more silence. And he said, oh, Pete, you're just splitting hairs because all of it leads to communion with God. Yes, I, I, it does all lead to communion with God. However, uh, I spent many years wrestling with the difference here that most Christians in the West today, we don't do silence. Um, we may 
do silence after we read a scripture, we're thinking about the scripture and we call that silence. That's not what I'm referring to here. I'm referring to what's often called apophatic silence, that silence of being still before the Lord um, in communion with him, resting in his love, waiting on him. It's very difficult initially because our muscles are so weak. And expect it to happen easily or quickly is like imagining you're going to go and compete in the Olympics uh, without training ever or practicing or thinking you're going to go run you know, a five-kilometer uh, or 10-kilometer race without ever jogging first. No, it's after we practice for hours and sometimes days, weeks, months. It become, Silence becomes such a part of us. We recognize, oh, this really is as natural as breathing. I want to give you, I, I started making a list and I was preparing for this podcast of 10 reasons to stay with the practice of silence. Because I know it's hard. I mean, this is not something your body, uh, your spirit is used to. There's nothing happening, encouraging you around you, but yet God created you for it. And you will find once you begin to enter into it, that something in your soul just comes alive and just longs for God. So here's 10 reasons to stay with the practice of silence. Uh, and you can add to it. I'm sure I'll add to it if I spend much more time with it, but these will get you started. First reason to stay with silence, the practice. We get to know God in ways, number one, we get to know God in ways that can only happen in silence. Be still and know that I'm God. Number two, we discover God's love in Jesus is more powerful than any circumstance or demonic power that's attempting to separate us from his embrace. Number three, we learn to listen much better to God and his will. A fourth reason to stay with silence when you're tempted to quit is you'll find yourself less triggered and anxious during the day. Fifth reason is we're transformed. Our old self dies and our new self in Christ gradually emerges. A sixth reason to stay with silence when you're tempted to quit is we're just less in a hurry and more at peace. The seventh reason is we discern more clearly the idols both inside and around us. An eighth reason to stay with silence is we're infused with a new level of courage to follow Jesus into the unknown. A ninth reason to stay with silence is we grow in love and compassion for others. And then finally, a final reason to stay with silence and practice it when everything in you wants to hang it up is we actually move beyond seeking positive feelings for God to loving him as a living person beyond our ups and downs. I love what Isaac of Nineveh, the great Syrian theologian, wrote in the 6th century. He wrote this, If you love truth, be a lover of silence. It brings you a fruit that tongues cannot describe. In the beginning, we have to force ourselves to be silent. Isn't that the truth? But then there, is born, then there is born something that draws us to silence. And after a while, a certain sweetness is born in the heart of this exercise, and the body is drawn almost by force to remain in silence. I love that. After a while, a certain sweetness, he writes, is, uh, is born in the heart of this exercise, and the body is drawn almost by force to remain in silence. So before we close with a minute of silence before the Lord, let me just remind you, in silence we sit on the Father's lap like a little child. 
We learn to trust him and love him more deeply. We actually catch up with God when we slow down for silence. We actually rewrite our scripts going back to our families of origin, going back generations that are deeply embedded in us. Messages that we think, oh, you've got to earn God's love and grace. We get rewired in silence that his love is free and his grace is just amazing. And it's for me and you. We find out a script that if we actually slow down, it's not true that things won't get done. If we slow down, Jesus' work will get done. He'll get it done. We get rewired to relax and trust him. We actually join with God in what he is doing. As we're in loving union with him, the yoke becomes easy, and it begins to be more of God working through us. We lose our lives to find them. We let go. We relax and we float in the river of God downstream versus swimming and fighting to go upstream, resisting. I'm convinced it's the rhythms of the daily office and silence. These, this inward journey of the riches of monasticism over the last 2,000 years that has power to actually change us, even though we're not living in closed, cloistered communities. Jerry and I have learned a great deal over the last couple of decades from the Quakers, uh, and their commitment to silence and quiet and listening to God, uh, and the work of Parker Palmer in particular. I don't know if you're aware, but the Quakers uh, in the 1720s, led by John Woolman, began to fight against slaveholding. In fact, they actually, they, they were a hundred years before the Civil War, they actually freed themselves from the institution of slavery by 1758. You couldn't be a Quaker and have, and have slaves. In fact, they asked slaveholders to reimburse their slaves for their time in bondage. They were like, they were so far ahead of their time, but they were grounded in silence before God. I love the Desert Father saying of Anthony the Great. And he's writing to monks, but it applies to us. And he refers to us as fish. He goes this, fish die if they stay a long time out of water. In the same way, monks who hang outside their cells lose the intensity of their peace. We have to rush back to our cells like fish to the sea for fear that we will forget our inner vigilance if we stay outside too long. Catch that. You see, if, you're, if, we're, if we as fish are outside too much without pulling back for times of silence before the Lord... Um, we lose our peace with God internally. We, our, our, our sense of life, we, our anxiety gets in there and triggers. And so he says, we have, we have to rush back to ourselves like fish to the sea. Think of a fish has to get back in that water. It'll die on the same way. We need a rhythm in our days, a rhythm in our uh, of day, days to, to stop and be with Jesus. So I, I, you know, I have morning, midday, and evening prayer. Uh, I'm pretty consistent with it, uh, especially before I go to bed, morning and midday. And it's been a lifeline for me, but the core to that has been the silence. So whether it's two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes or more, let me invite you to begin to find your way in the practice of being still and silent before the Lord. And so as core to the EH spirituality course and the discipleship course as a whole is these day-by-day devotionals where you actually practice twice a day for two minutes to start in two minutes to end with some scripture in between. My goal has been to help to get people started in the course with the practice of a rhythm of offices and a rhythm of silence. Um, and uh, you can't do the course without the daily office. It doesn't work. It's not the course. This is the core of it. 
So I want to, let me invite you to, really, I want to invite you to two resources here uh, before we go into our minute of silence. The first is actually a 15-minute video, um, and it's, it's, a, it's called the silence video, and it basically leads you through a silent experience guided for about 13 minutes or so. Uh, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash silence, and I, I invite you to use that perhaps as one of your offices. Um, good morning, I like to say morning, midday, evening prayer, uh, and just let it guide you to be in the presence of God. And a second resource, of course, is the emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. Uh, and uh, you want to pick up the a sample of the new workbook revisions and the new videos and get some access to them and check it out uh, as you get on this journey. So with that, uh, let me invite you, wherever you are right now, let's be still before the Lord for one minute as we close our, our podcast. Uh, I've loved putting this all, preparing this and putting this together. I'm amazed at how inexhaustible it is. This is worth a course in and of itself. And let's be still before the Lord for a minute uh, together. Let's begin. Amen, everybody. Thank you so much. It's been great to be with you. Have a great day.